0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Dark Rhino Security Confidential. This is Minoch Kandan, your host. And today I'm joined by Fred Erdogostun. I apologize if I have butchered that. Uh, people usually butcher my name too, Fred. So maybe that's a little bit we have in common. <laughs> but uh, Fred is a, a software engineer. He's an entrepreneur and he has a lot of industry experience in open source. DFIR, automation, pen testing. He's worked in an MSSP environment. In essence, uh, and Fred is the co-founder and CEO of Shuffle. So he has an extensive background in cyber, and we are honored to have him as a guest on Security Confidential. Thank you, Fred. Yeah, I understand this is your first podcast, so we're kind of honored to have uh, you do your first one with us. Appreciate it. Hopefully,
1: the first of many. It's uh, it's exciting. I'm I'm trying to spread uh, or talk more about security outwards instead of just keeping everything to myself. That I'm learning over time now. So yeah, thanks again for having me.
0: Um, you're joining us from Tokyo, so that we have in common. I used to live there uh, way back. Yeah.
1: I heard you said that earlier. Right. And uh, I'm really excited to, to actually hear more about that. Now uh, we, we decided to skip it for now. Right. So can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Where do you live? Oh, I lived in Ropangi, and my office was in Shinjuku. So I used to, picture, oh. I used to take the train in every day, two trains. Um, it so was a wonderful all experience. Trains that
1: are super full.
0: Oh yeah. But it was it was a wonderful experience. Uh, we had a heck of a time living in Tokyo. Uh, it's a, it's a very vibrant city. Uh, from what remember mm. it's, a, it's a metropolis. Oh, for sure.
1: It's a uh, way different for me as well. I'm a Norwegian from like a tiny country with a tiny population, right, like going on the street here. Uh, in one day I see more people than I see in a year in Norway is what it feels like. So <laughs> Well
0: isn't the pop is the population of Tokyo more than the entire country of Norway?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, way more. It's like seven times more
0: or so. <laughs> That's... so why Tokyo? How did you get over there? So um
1: I can bring you all the way back or I can bring in the essentials. Um uh I essentially ma- uh, went here on a holiday two 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 and a half years ago and uh, throughout that I got to experience everything about the country and kind of fell in love with the whole thing. Uh, but the reason I actually ended up moving here was a little different because as I went here, I wanted to talk to some other people. So I actually went on a couple of dates to, to learn from people. Okay. It wasn't really a- about the dating side, but it, w- it was about meeting people and talking to them. Um, and I met this one amazing woman who I'm now living with,
0: who is Japanese. Wonderful. Congratulations. So that's that's kept. And so do you find it difficult as a cybersecurity practitioner uh, that where I assume Japanese is a second language for you. So uh, to engage in the. uh, So I
1: don't speak Japanese. uh, I'm going to school now to learn it kind of on the side. I am spending time uh, trying to learn how to speak so I can talk to her and her family in like their native tongue. Right. But I'm not there yet. I wish I were, Uh, but I don't have any trouble actually uh, talking to uh, talking to people here because most people in cybersecurity are mostly international uh, is what I've found. So that's why, by example, I spoke at a conference back in January, Japanese conference. And I got good feedback, even from the Japanese uh, uh, people at that conference. Well,
0: uh, excellent. So, talk to us a little bit about open source and cybersecurity. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, you know, uh, a lot of times um, there's a lot of open source technologies out there. In fact, for threat hunting, there's so many open source tools that are available, and they're they're good tools. Uh, but it, it hasn't become as mainstream as one would have thought and uh, you're and you're totally open source so tell us a little bit about what your thoughts on open source
1: sure so there's a lot of ways to go with that question of course you can take it it to like business decisions or you can take it from the security side and i'm something in between right i would love to get
0: both sides of it so you can start with security or the business i'm good with it either way
1: Sure. So, without going into too much history, right? Because you can go really far back if you want to talk about this. Uh, but uh, talking about like my experience, because I've been, uh, I'm, uh, I've been working on open source tools for maybe eight years or so at this point, and Shuffle is just the latest one. So I have a lot of stuff out there So I've been in the community and I've seen everything, um, but one thing about it that I can get to get straight to, which is really important about it is that it's all about sharing, right? It's about sharing knowledge and I'm really, really into that, which is all about uh, uh, teaching people how something works in a better way and giving them the opportunity to grow by just looking at what's out there. Right so uh going far far back this is all about the innovation and uh, yeah. uh everything most of the stuff we're using even right now in this uh in this recording uh, session right is from open source tools even though we are on this platform that's like um really mature and, and futuristic of like the 2020 2021 right uh, most of what it is is open source and that comes down to the the fact that people just want to share the knowledge and want to help other people understand uh, and keep—I uh, don't know—keep uh, engineering new things. It's a—it's a developer's dilemma, I think. Um, something I'm struggling a lot with.
0: So then, um, but doesn't at some point you have to make a living too, right? So yes. So the monetization you're right, you're right. of this. How? What's been your experience with that with open source tech?
1: So in general, I'd say it's it's not the best, right? It's uh, people have not done it very well over the years, and I think that is because they want to uh, there there is uh, a lot of hate actually towards people that are open sourcing and trying to earn money from it because they feel like it should just be open source. Um, And because of that, uh, a lot of people are not going down that route, right? Plus, uh, on the other side, it's really actually really hard to monetize something like that. So something I've been living out of uh, for the last year, year and a half it has been uh, sponsors, people actually helping me out personally through these open source platforms like GitHub, um, where they kind of like give money to me before the business becomes sustainable, because that is uh, that is a way for you as an entrepreneur, as a creator to share with the community even more than you would otherwise. And for me personally, I would not be doing it still, if I didn't start earning money, like half a year ago,
0: when I first got some help. That's very cool. I uh, didn't know that, the, uh, you know, that was the path forward, where people are willing to sponsor. <laughs> and, and that's great. Uh, and you're also doing a service by creating open source technologies that are available to everyone, and accessible to everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of ways to go here, right? Like, and the long-term goal here for Shuffle as well is not to make, make uh, money for me personally as the creator of the tool itself, as like the starter of it, right? The point is to create an enterprise where you can actually um, help innovation in general outside of just in the open source part of it, right? You need to help people, uh, you need to actually make a business model around the thing instead of just going for sponsorships. it's uh, This is all about how to get started, right? And I am in the, in the start phase of this. So how we're actually approaching it, uh, and I'm saying we because I'm working with a lot of different uh, people now who will be brought on board as this gets bigger and bigger. Um, we are working on ways that you can kind of like bind business aspects which are over here with the open source side. And uh, re- uh, really, really reducing the uh, the barrier to entry for all of these things, right? Um, so, uh, specifically just going to go into specifics here, one of the things we've done, which people typically don't do and, uh, uh which I haven't seen too much of in the open source space, yeah. but which by example, elastic has done really well and has been support and integrations with cloud services. And there are kind of like really important ways you can go there where you can offer a fully working open source solution over here, which doesn't need all the maintenance and everything. It's not like 20 years ago when it felt like it would break at any point. Yeah, it's more of a uh, more of a um, uh, uh, how do I say it? Uh, It's more of a mature process now where you actually have these entities behind it, like Red Hat, right? They also did this really well. It took this uh, open source uh, process made it kind of their own, made their own version, uh, and that is the Red Hat Linux, uh, yep. uh, right? And they also have CentOS around that. Yep. I'm not sure if they're behind it actually, but the point is, uh, around the support of it, they made such a good business model that now they are a giant of industry, right? In in Very IT so. in general, and that is something that we see more and more at this point. So just to get into security a little bit, because you said you don't see it a, a lot. I see it a lot, right? Because my, my goal is essentially to help spread the words of all of these things. Um, tools like the Hive has been a big uh, up-and-coming tool over the last five years. And I'm not sure if uh, your listeners uh, have heard of it. Oh, I'm but sure they essentially
0: have. A... Uh, a lot of our <laughs> listeners are uh, cybersecurity practitioners. So I'm... <laughs> Sure, they would know okay. what that
1: is. <laughs> okay, uh, anyway, it is uh, just to bring it back for those people that don't know, it is a ticketing tool made for cybersecurity, right? So it's a, it's a based on, um, it's a tool that's based on uh, doing incident response in a better way by using tools made for instant response instead of make uh, uh, tools like normal ITSM ticketing tools. Anyway, the, the reason I bring them up is because they have also gone. uh, They have also tried to make a business model out of this now. And in the, in the last year, they've hired, I think, three, four more people for their team instead of working from within a different company, uh, building it from there. So uh, all of these like security tools are are uh, slowly uh, growing into mature organizations. Another one last week was an acquisition two weeks ago uh, of. Um, by rapid seven of uh, tool an edr tool called the velocity raptor uh, which they will build into their uh, systems as well right and uh, this is all about how can you make this little tool that you start building in your home office or at your workplace into some giant that can uh, help you and help all the other creators of it actually make a sustainable living in a different way than just from within
0: within like these operations teams what about the myth that Uh, open source tools from a security aspect are not that secure.
1: Well, that is is a dilemma for sure. And it is a a misconception, I'd say. It's also a part of why we are open sourcing in general. So just to give you an example, I open sourced Shuffle about a year ago now. And Shuffle is my company, as you mentioned earlier, right? Right. which I started and uh, now have a lot of people working on in general and a larger community around. Yeah. And we've worked together really uh, like a lot uh, on finding all the issues around it. Not just security issues, but also like uh, function, uh, functionality issues and bugs. So I'd say I've, I've had the opposite, I've seen the opposite effect entirely. But um, to what you're saying, yes, if they are immature pro- uh, projects without a user base, I totally agree because then it's it's basically just someone making it at home, trying not trying to earn money from it or anything. But once you try to make make the commercial, you have to put, get it to a certain standard before people will even be willing to try uh, to try it out.
0: So talk to me about Shuffle a little bit. The The technology, it's a SOAR platform, correct?
1: I don't like SOAR. I don't like that term, but yes. Yeah. So, uh, so, to, so tell to, us to get to some your country. words here, Fred. What What? <laughs> sure. So, uh Shuffle is an automation platform uh, in general. It's a security automation platform. So, it has all the essence of a SOAR except it doesn't have all um uh, all the unnecessary tools in uh that is in my opinion, right? Uh and what I mean by that is it it's not bloated. And all these larger SOARs that have been bought out and uh, who are, who have been doing well for themselves. I never liked their approaches to it because they try to do everything. And that is kind of the point of automation, but it's, I don't think you should build it into your solution. So the difference here um, uh, has been that all these SOAR products are also building, like, case management systems. They're building threat intel systems and everything into one, and they're trying to make it a monopoly of sorts. Um, while here I'm taking kind of the open approach, totally opposite. The whole point is, Stop uh, Stop having people just um, uh, enable sharing is basically what it comes down to. It's to enable sharing and collaboration. That's what we try to, do, uh, try to do with Shuffle. And the whole goal of building it has been to use open source standards and build open source integrations um, so that every operations center around the world, in a way, can have the same processes. Whether they're an MSSP or if they're an enterprise, they have most of the same, uh, same problems, especially when they're getting started. And I've seen that most of the, uh, the companies coming in to me, trying to approach it and needing it, have not been like the Fortune 1000 or Fortune 500, right? Because they, don't, they need mature products. They want to do it and get into it when it's at a certain stage. But it's been uh, more of the companies that don't have anywhere else to go. It's the companies that are doing well. It's the it's the smaller MSSPs, uh, which there are a lot of around the world. Um, uh, And it is the the companies that don't have the funds necessarily to buy the most expensive products where you pay
0: uh, $10,000 per automation, stuff like that.
1: We've looked at
0: SOAR uh, platforms and they are not cheap. They they are very expensive. uh, And it is a complex deployment. It's not something that you just do uh, on a Saturday afternoon. (laughs) Yes, but why shouldn't it be? Well, there's a complexity there. And if uh, developers and, and folks like you manage that complexity and shield the end user, yes, you can. And people have I mean, you look at what Okta, it's not open source. But when you look at them, they, there was at one time when you did an IAM system, there was so much complexity to it in, in, in engaging it. They've taken all of that away. You know, with all the pre-built integrations out of the box, there, there's so many complexities we don't have to worry about anymore.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's what we're try to do here as well. So, uh, so in short term, to so actually talk about the platform itself and not everything around it. It is an automation platform. It's trying to solve the same solution, uh, solve the same problems that all the source are trying to tackle. We are trying to take it from an, a more open approach where we share literally everything and the others have have uh, have uh, done a little bit of the same, right? But it's still about, uh, everything is about sharing. Everything is about getting everyone to the same level, kind of like increasing the average security maturity level uh, globally and long-term, right? And enabling everyone to share what they're doing. And that is a really critical aspect to it. It's about sharing their processes, sharing their automations. Um, exam- by example, if you have Mitre attack, it would take you years to implement that whole thing into your into your pipeline. If you have to do it one by one like that is so hard. It's such a huge undertaking and you need to talk about it with every team or in in the organization that's related to it. So it's it's such like a huge undertaking, but I don't see why it should be if we think long term here, Um, because all of those things have most of them have technical uh, solutions rather than uh, rather than um, uh, needing to talk to people and. the human aspect, essentially. So I'm a real optimist when it comes to h- how much technol- technology can do, if you think think about it. At, um, well, it gets back to short. original design
0: intent quite a bit as well, right? When you were laying out the architecture of Shuffle, I'm sure there's a lot of, you put a huge amount of thought into the complexities that are involved and how you're going to take those complexities out of it. Uh, In fact, that that is a question when when you have multiple developers working on an open source platform, how do you keep Cohesity in the systems architecture and design part of the execution?
1: Well, that's not really that's not really a difference from open source compared to when you do it in an enterprise. The only difference with enterprise is that you probably do it from eight to four uh, instead of doing it when you want to do it, uh, which typically typically happen with open source. Uh, so, uh, how we are doing it is we talk regularly and we also, uh, it's kind of like you're giving people a task, you talk about the architecture and then you bring it forward to should we focus on this part and then you give people a task and then they deliver and then you need to have some change management that's putting the code into the production pipeline. Um, so it is the exact same, uh, same process. But I want to go get back to a little bit what you said there, just you talked about architecture and, and the thoughts around yeah, it. And yes, great. you're correct. There are a lot of things going into it because these platforms are are really hard to build. And that's why they are really expensive as well, because they know people can't build it themselves in most cases. Um, a lot of enterprises have their own kind of like system for automation, but it's not as cohesive. And I want to say that I would never do it myself if I knew how much work it was, like I wouldn't (laughs) do it again, Uh, right? So, but about the architecture uh, specifically, uh, it's actually based on uh, something NSA did. Uh, NSA built uh, uh, an open source tool for workflow automation called Walkoff, which was also for security operations uh, and which they are using inside of, of the NSA for their operations in general, even right now, I believe. I'm not sure how much, I don't have this knowledge uh, properly uh, that's anymore, very but interesting. Uh, I know they used to. Um, so what I essentially did was I dug really, really uh, far into their uh, their code and I took out the aspects that made, made sense and I rebuilt the whole thing from scratch. Because I, uh, if you're gonna build something that's this big uh, as an undertaking, you need to, uh, you need to, uh, Prepare a lot for what's in the future, and you need to understand the uh, understand the really deep components of it. So actually, everything is built on the same architecture. Walkoff, uh, NSA's Walkoff has, um, and even down to the Docker level. But everything is rewritten, like the whole code code base is rewritten with different languages.
0: Wow! So. NSA built an open source platform, you leverage that platform to enable another open source automation tool. That's pretty yes. darn cool. And, now, and uh, we are compatible. That's the cool part. You, you, They've worked together. See, uh, that, that's actually very cool. So now let, let's go to the conspiracy theory side of things. Just for a second, since you're building off yes. of something the NSA did and they put it out as open source, uh, there will be people that'll say, well, then they, there's all kinds of back doors into it and our security could be compromised.
1: Yeah, I- and uh, that is exactly why it's rewritten from scratch, because that is the same thing that happened with uh, Ghidra when it was open sourced uh, about uh, two years ago, like the, the uh, reverse engineering tool. And uh, uh, people went through the whole thing just to make sure that it doesn't have some hidden backdoors of some kind. And so for shuffle, it's literally new programming languages and written all the way from scratch with new methodologies where I saw it necessary to improve. And I wouldn't have made it from scratch if I didn't think there had to be major reconstructions uh, in the whole uh, in the whole
0: scheme of things. I'm glad you addressed that head on, Fred, because I'm sure <laughs> we would get notes from listeners saying, well, now we know, <laughs> it, our, does it, it may not be that secure, but that that's great. So you've sure. taken the foundations and then you've re-engineered it and you're building it from the ground up and this the yes. shuffle is your idea, it is the architecture is yours, the, uh, you know, all the operating yes. principles are all
1: yours. Yeah, it's more about taking ideas from people that have done smart things before. It's like before you start something, you should probably look at if someone did it before you, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. That's Why reinvent the wheel? There, there's no point to it. Well,
1: I think there's something to that, though. I like reinventing the wheel because maybe you make something better. And that's kind of what happened here.
0: So for Shuffle, uh, I I haven't personally been exposed to it. But I have heard yeah. our engineers at Dark Rhino talk quite a bit about it, and they seem to be quite excited about it. From what I understand, it, it, in the securities operations center, it can work as that uh, unifier, that single pane of glass across everything. Right. I would say it's a little bit different. Uh, it's it's
1: not about making the single uh, single pane glass uh, of glass. Well, for, I'm oversimplifying uh, for... it. So keep
0: in mind, I'm not a security practitioner. So uh, you're you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get into it.
1: Uh, so uh, there uh, there is something around this, right? And this is what source are doing wrong, in my opinion. Like what you Please. just said, they're making the single uh, making that. A uh, single pane of glass, like where everything is supposed to be, because I don't think that fits into an automation platform. And the reason for that is simply because of bloat. It feels like a bloat to the system if you make everything into one. So what we're trying to do instead with shuffle is to use the tools you already have and kind of like empower them into being the tools that are uh, uh, that are working together to become the single pane of glass. So back to what I said about, by uh, example, the Hive earlier, or let's take like ServiceNow or like PagerDuty as examples of, of uh, these kind of systems, those ticketing systems, case management systems, are the tools that should be the single pane of glass. That is where everything should start. So if you have that inside an automation platform, yes, it should be, uh, uh, should be the go to place for analysts. But the point is to instead of doing that and giving you kind of like too many opportunities, too many tools within one, it's all about using the tools you already have in different places, and making them work together uh, in like symbiosis, and then put that data into the ticketing uh, ticketing system, where the analyst can work.
0: There, all those separate subsystems, the integration of them is going to be non trivial. <laughs> yes <laughs> and from your smile it says that you've already encountered probably a lot of challenges in, in, in making that happen but it, it's it's a fantastic idea it's always been um, ever since uh, you know I haven't been in software uh, hands-on if you will working in it for a, a long time but um, the integration of uh, disparate systems uh, has been, has been an ongoing challenge for the, the many, many decades now, right? I mean, that's, there's entire, uh, consulting yes. empires built on that very challenge on addressing.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a shame they haven't built a solution for it instead of <laughs> kind of keep, uh, to keep consulting. Uh, but yeah, uh, for sure. It is, um, it is a real problem and it is a, it's a hard problem to solve. And it's not something I was surprised by, like, this is something that I knew from the get go, because I used to work at this, um, fintech company that did, um, that it's a huge fintech company in the Nordics. And I was doing security there. And when I came to that company, we were working with an MSSP. We had an MSSP, okay. we used Excel and we used outlook. Those were kind of like the three to, to like, bring it down to the, to the core of how we were working. When I came in that, that happened and then the whole team quit that also happened around the same time i'm not sure if it's my fault but hopefully not but maybe uh but anyway i came in there and within like 3 days uh i kind of convinced my boss um, my new boss at the time and the team that we need to change our processes because this is not working like this is not okay so i just started automating things like I came in there and I tried to do it. This was when I was kind of a rookie at this. I I knew security and I knew how it worked. I also knew some development, but I didn't know how complex this gets, right, in big enterprises. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because big enterprises are hard to deal with. And when you're in fintech dealing with money at the same time, it's really complex and really hard to build in new structures and processes there. So what ended up happening was... I spent a lot of time just integrating one by one all these tools and I've seen uh, I read a stat about this about the average analyst using something like 33 tools on a daily basis uh, of of like cloud services and in-house services, whatever, uh, however you set it up Um, and integrating all of those. And in that company, I think I did like 27, uh, 27 tools and I put them together and having done that for a year and a half or so. Uh, I kind of got bored of it, because I just kept doing the same thing. It felt like I was writing the same code over and over and over again, because it's all about moving data around and enriching it in some specific way. And you had to build all these systems around it. And I couldn't find a better solution, like there was literally no better solution around this, right? And so I kind of found that I needed to spend a lot of time just thinking about how can we do this better? That was kind of what it came down to. And a lot of companies are doing this right now. How can we do this automation thing better in general? So um, what I started looking at was, are there any open ways of doing this? And it turns out, yes, people are doing it already, but they're not doing it in security. They're not sharing enough. But in almost every other industry outside of security, like even in IT, right, which is bigger than security for sure, um, in all of these uh, these industries, people are already sharing open specifications for their APIs and use cases for them. And that is something called Open API or Swagger, as it used to be called. Um, and this is all about like uh, specifying how something works. But in security, we, I wanna say we have almost nothing. At this point, it's getting better, but it's something that we're trying to kind of help fix with Shuffle, so that whether the platform is used or not, we are still providing people with better resources for reading APIs and how to use them through Shuffle. Uh as as we are kind of sharing everything. And these are then created into code with Shuffle, right? So this is kind of like the standardization part of it. It's it's taking these specifications for APIs. Say you have an EDR or say you have a SIM. Let's do yep. SIM because that's what people are mostly interested in. Um, what what is a SIM? If you like break it down really far. It is I, to me it's just a log aggregator. So but... go ahead.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. That is the exact thing. And now they're trying to put all these other tools into the sim. And I'm kind of asking why? Like, what's the point of that? Shouldn't it be a log aggregator and a place you can search and get alerts from in some way? So you can schedule some kind of search within it. So. Uh, and there are other tools like that. that there's like the case management system. It's all uh, all about putting tickets in some in some place where the analyst can work. For the EDR, it's all about uh, all about actually having all your endpoints in a single place where you can kind of create rules based on what happens on the computer. It's uh, like antiviruses. It's all about antivirus, like literally mm-hmm. stopping stuff on your computer. So all of these tools are kind of standardized. The only thing that's not standardized about them is how you connect to them, like the API itself. Absolutely. So the idea around this, the idea around this is standardizing the API's in a way, helping move the industry towards more standardization for the API's, not that they need to change their endpoints for it, but so that for an EDR, you should have a way to search for the processes on a machine, you should have a way to get alerts from the system, you should have all these things. And that shouldn't be different between systems. Of course, you have a unique selling points. Uh, and that is why you buy them all, uh, most of the time. But that is hidden beneath those layers. A lot of the time. It's like, what are the detections within the system? That's what you're usually buying. That, so it's all about unifying those
0: that uh, you're absolutely throwing up a challenge to the standard industry norms in doing this, that, which is, that's great. I think the industry could use a little bit of a, of a shakeup. A lot of it, I think, also, maybe get your thoughts around this, is that uh, cybersecurity we've seen is one area where there's a huge focus on tools. You know, uh, um, there's so many vendors, so many technologies, and everyone is trying to sell their tool as a, a magical uh I don't want to use the word silver bullet but for lack of a better word i, I i'm drawing a blank right now how yes. best to describe it but that sort of comes about that way and that's why you're seeing all these functionalities getting put into areas that are being duplicated across different segments
1: yeah okay. that's right and uh, uh, to that point right like to the silver bullet point That is kind of the point of Shuffle as well, is to take your tools that you already have and make them the silver bullet they originally were supposed to be, right? They were supposed to solve this problem, but they're not solving it, they're just giving you a new problem that you have to deal with. So why not automate the part that's annoying and then you get the silver bullet part they're trying to sell you? Well, how novel is that concept? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is a weird thing coming from a, a, from a provider of a product in general, but in general with shuffle, I don't want you to use shuffle manually day by day. Like that's not the goal. I want you to use the least amount of time within a tool possible, uh, and get the most automation out of it. You can, right. So you shouldn't need to sit there every day and kind of look at the same stuff and improve everything all, all the time. Um, the whole point is kind of to, to, to alleviate all that effort for the, yeah. As uh, if you were a silver bullet.
0: Do you see, uh, with the approach that you're introducing, uh, in cybersecurity, uh, the role of the analyst changing? That's
1: a good question. Um, kinda, I see it that way, but I also see it as, um, I, I talked to a smart, smart, uh, person yesterday about this. And he said something I really liked, which was about whether an analyst should be an analyst or not, or whether an analyst is the wrong name for it, in a way. Okay. Because what it turns out to be is if you're in a big MSSP, you're usually put into like a level one MSS uh, or SOC role. First of all, like that's the entry level role. And I think that's really important. That's really, it's really, really important to keep that role, because otherwise, we don't have an entry point into defensive security. And that is the best way to go about it because you can learn a lot in that role about, yeah, all the different tools and uh, how they work and fit together and uh, infrastructure and everything. Um, right. But but what it kind of came down to was uh, whether should you should yourself or uh, be automating all these things or be analyzing all these things or what is the actual role of the analyst? So yes, in in, I'm trying to say yes to your, uh, your question, in a way, but I'm not sure where to go with it. you know, it's so
0: necessary. I think human intelligence is uh, in cybersecurity is absolutely critical um, to Mm. to take on the biggest challenges. So if you look at that pyramid of pain, the very tip of the pyramid of pain is not the domain of any tool set. That is the domain of human consciousness. Uh, someone uh, does a, uh, uses a new TTP that's never been seen before. The only way you're, there's no automation. That's going to really catch that. That's going to be hunches of an analyst. Someone saying, right. you know, something doesn't seem right. And piecing a puzzle together. I think that's a very important function. I think that human intelligence, yes. the contribution of human intelligence in the SOC, is, is very, very important. I think oftentimes because of a lack of automation a lot of that's the fun part of the job is to be the detective i think uh and threat hunt and and things of of that nature but because of a lack of automation the job has a certain tedium to it because you're repeating the same process steps over and over again and that somewhat dulls the analyst i mean we're all human at some point you're going to get bored doing the same thing over and over and and it happens it's a very real problem uh for anyone that started in a stock analyst role they're going to know exactly what i'm talking about right because you you keep going through the same thing again and again and again and again um yeah so if you can alleviate that and allow them to be focused where their intelligence is much more needed yes then that would be very yeah i think it would actually operationally uh make the sock a much more uh, efficient, not only efficient, but uh, it would increase the effectivity of the piece. Yeah,
1: I think so as well. And uh, I think you're you're, uh, absolutely talking about the right thing here. Like, this is a hard problem to solve, both short and long term. Because I think there's, uh, uh, if we talk just about the pyramid of pain for a second. the issue there is not necessarily that that you shouldn't have human intelligence in the in the picture like of course you should you should have a lot of training in the best people in your socks so that they can solve all these issues when they come up because a lot of the instant response uh the instance i got as well when i used to work at the fintech company was not about purely technical stuff like the ttps were often like really weird things that you had to all of a sudden react to and fix not to mention that we implemented like gdpr processes and how to uh, how to handle those kind of things right there are all the time always like these new processes coming into play but the issue is that i don't believe most companies at all are at the maturity level where they should even care about those things because most of them are struggling with the thing you just said which is around Doing the same thing day in and day out, and that means you don't have time for the threat, and you don't have time to look at all these new TTPs that have come up in last week. Like Mitre Attack, they released uh, TTPs for Docker last week as kind of like a new standard, like containers. And right. I don't think most people should look at them yet because they haven't gotten that far in kind of like their infrastructure defense. Uh, but a lot of a lot of them have as well. And this is kind of like the, the hard thing to talk about as a provider as well, like as a security automation provider, because we, we can solve all those issues, but whether we should yet is not, uh, is not, uh, it's not feasible to go that route yet, essentially, because you need to get people to a certain level first. And that is what we're trying to do. It's all about moving people up the pyramid of pain to the point where they should be working at the top.
0: Right. That's a, that's, uh, that's, Absolutely correct, and that's very cool. I think uh, if you are successful—I should say more appropriately—as you become more and more successful, um, that you could have a dramatic impact on the industry. That—that that would. Change. I'm hoping
1: so. Long term.
0: Yeah, over the long term, I think that this is a direction that uh, the entire industry needs to go in, not just. Uh, you know, yeah, but. I'm- I am
1: scared. I, I mentioned there long term a little bit, and I'm really, really scared about one specific thing, which is if you automate too much, you don't have an entry level role anymore. And that means you're not going to get new people into cybersecurity. So I'm not sure how that problem should be solved yet, because that is already a problem we're having, right? With, we're missing talent at this point. But if you're doing going down that route, then sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I, I was going to say that um, I, I feel a little differently about that. Uh, Because you still, when you put a new entry-level person in, uh, you still need to train them. They need to understand the why behind the events they are Mm. seeing and and the mechanics of it. There's, so they must get their fingernails dirty. If they don't get them dirty, it's going to be very hard for them to leverage the automation to an optimal point, right? It, it's like this, if it, um, I, I'll use an t- analogy that's totally from a different industry. In photography, you look at uh, how complex these cameras have become and how automated they have become. But they have not negated the role of the photographer at all. I mean, the photographer still needs to understand exposure. They need to understand framing. They need to understand so many things. The automation, maybe has sped up their workflow, right? But it hasn't eliminated their need for the knowledge that drives that workflow. So I think I think, uh, I think uh, automation, it will take the tedium out, but what's going to be very cool now is because if the analyst can focus on the top part of that pyramid of pain, now they're going to take a very deep dive into areas that they're not even doing today. Because they're not worrying about the face there.
1: They're not worrying about that anymore. Yeah, but uh, the, uh, that is something that I'm not sure if it's a good or bad thing, whether you should be worried about it or not. Because maybe what if the one thing down there, we are security people, right? And you need to think worst case. What if that process down there was uh, misimplemented? And every company has it misimplemented that you got to go back. And no one's looked at that for 10 years. And all of a sudden you have technical depth that goes, yeah,
0: really far. <laughs> well uh, i i you, you know the scenario you paint is very real and it very well could be the case uh but there there's a fundamental overriding factor in this is that you know imperfection cannot yield perfection so as humans we are imperfect creatures and anything we design. And execute is going to have imperfections. It will not have perfections. It will be a reflection of us. Yes, I deviated a little bit into philosophy, but okay, you know, it 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 just um, it's just the way things are, and and that's because if we could design with perfection, we wouldn't have any security gaps. <laughs> Our systems would be hundred percent secure. Uh, But that's not uh, the world of uh, cyber compromise is looking for those imperfections, and how do you exploit those imperfections for whatever nefarious purpose you have or intent you have, (laughs) right? (laughs) So I think it'll always be there, I, you know, but it will change, and I don't know how it will change.
1: no, that but is the exciting thing. part,
0: right? Like it's it's what
1: can happen. If you give people more time to focus on development and innovation within security, how much better can we actually get, if you can get those people to, to look at new things all the time, and try to figure out how to solve a new problem instead of solving the same thing kind of back to, to um, uh, reinventing
0: the wheel. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I uh, agree with you completely. So we're nearly at the hour here. I also want you, you, there's so many more questions. We're going to have to get you back uh, for a part two here. (laughs) Uh, Because I I really want to get deep into some thoughts around uh, security topics that we can maybe explore in more detail. But um, I want to give you a chance to plug anything. Uh, Are you going to be at any conferences uh, or appearances, any any talks you're going to be giving or any I'm organization you'd going like to, bring to be up?
1: A... yes thanks uh yes, I would like to bring up shuffle of course and and uh, uh, the company I'm building is trying to trying to change the world with automation at least in in the security world um and uh, my Twitter, if you want to follow me okay. uh at friki like me, I hope uh, you're gonna put that in the description somewhere right, We'll it's, put uh, that into the show right.
0: notes
1: thank you. And uh, um, uh, thank you a lot for having me for that matter. There are uh, a lot of things I can go into here, but I I don't really have anything I would like to plug except for a thank, a thank you. And uh, thank my better half who worked around me who's still supporting me after doing this uh, throughout Corona.
0: Well, I think uh, it, it's been a pleasure to have you and what you're doing is uh, fantastic work. It's needed in our industry. Uh, and we're going to look forward to having you back, Fred. And we'll d- deep Thanks, dive so into a lot more areas. Um, but For sure. thank you very much and have a fantastic weekend.
1: Oh, you too. Thank you very much.